Happy Sabbath, church family. How are we doing this Sabbath? Now, uh, let's read again our, our uh, scripture for this morning. It says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we have sung to you. We have uh, read uh, scripture. And now, Lord, as we focus more on you, we pray that uh, we will hear your words. That these words, Lord, that you have for us, this message will be something that we can take heart. Take away all distractions, all the things, Lord, that are keeping us away from listening to you and that we have an experience with you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A Harvard article carries a story entitled Loneliness in America, How the Pandemic Has Deepened an Epidemic of Loneliness. In a recent national survey of American adults, 36% of the respondents reported serious loneliness, feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time. This included 61% of young adults aged 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children. Not surprisingly, Loneliness appears to have increased substantially since the outbreak of the global pandemic. 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. About half of lonely young adults in the survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken the time to ask them a few questions or to ask them how they were doing in a genuine way like they actually cared. Living in a post-pandemic era has only highlighted the devastating reality in which most of us live in America. The report also explored that many types of loneliness, potentially steep costs of loneliness, including early mortality and a wide array of serious physical and emotional problems, including depression, anxiety, and heart disease substance abuse, domestic abuse. Moreover, another survey suggests that three out of five Americans are lonely. I'll just repeat that again. Three out of five Americans are lonely. Just this week, we heard of a shooting inside of a St. Louis high school The gunman had an an AR-15 style weapon with 600 rounds of ammo. And the teacher used her body to shield her students, to protect her students, and she died in the process. Later, the police found a note in the 19-year-old's car where the young man lamented that he had no friends, had no family, no girlfriend, and a life of isolation. And this, to me, what really intrigues me is the point in which the officer that was giving the report, he said, 
I'm so glad that we were able to avoid a horrific accident. How far have we gone into this world in which life was taken, in which life that has value is not, lo- is not longer seen as a horrific accident? When life was taken, when seven people were injured, when two people died. In our 21st century American individualistic social and cultural perspective, it would seem that we've grown accustomed to hear news like this on a regular basis to the point where we have become numb. Numb to feel, numb to sense, to see the hurt, the suffering, and the pain of this world. We see it all the time, and our attitude might be, well, it didn't happen to me. But the very reason could, hit, could be that one day it could happen to us. And the reality is that it can happen to someone that we know. While mental illness diseases are growing more and more due to the fact that people feel unloved and unappreciated and unneeded, centuries ago, King David also had moments where he felt deep sorrow and loneliness, and his enemies came from within and from without. Although he was in modern times, there was no treatments. Like in those days, King David had something far more effective. He had a strong faith and trust in God. He thought of himself as the shepherd in God's pasture, and God as the good shepherd. That's the reason why he could ride. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. All through scripture, we are likened to sheep as in God as our good shepherd. Jesus used this example many times as we closely see in our passage this morning in John chapter 10. Describes the characteristics of the good shepherd. Why did Jesus use this illustration of the good shepherd? Because taking care of sheep would be something familiar to people who they would relate to. If Jesus lived in Texas in our modern times, he would probably would have used cows or longhorns as an illustration. Because it would be something familiar that people could relate. So in John chapter 10, we see that the good shepherd is concerned for the sheep. We see that the good shepherd loves the sheep. And we see that the good shepherd protects his sheep. And we see that the good shepherd is one without whom the sheep would be lost. For example, in John chapter 10, verse 7, we see that Jesus says, he starts the verse with the same phrase. If you remember, verily, verily, I tell you, or very truly, I tell you, in the New King James Version, most assuredly, I say to you, And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we saw this phrase, verily, verily, or truly, truly. But in the original language, it uses the word, amen, amen. And so, what is Jesus actually saying here, whenever he uses the words, amen, amen? Remember that when Jesus uses this phrase at the beginning of the sentence, he's not merely saying, I agree with what you said. Or I believe that what you said is true. But Jesus is actually saying, I know that this is true firsthand. So verse 7 should actually read, Then Jesus said to them again, Amen, Amen, I say to you, I am the gate 
for the sheep. Just off the bat, we see how John reintroduces another of the I am sayings in the passage. As we saw, as we previously saw last time, the Gospel of John is the only Gospel that recounts seven unique I am sayings that Jesus pronounced during His ministry. Seven, the number that biblically symbolizes perfection and or completion, not just physically, but spiritually. The significance here, of course, is that Jesus is using the I am sayings to identify Himself as the God of the Old Testament, the sovereign, the omnipotent God, the one who is perfect and brings things into completion. Thus, in this case, Jesus identifying himself as the gate for the sheep, he describes his divine qualities that he offers to humanity. First, the good shepherd is the only way of entrance into the sheep pen, Jesus said. Verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. In the time of Jesus, the sheep pen would have been roughly round, a courtyard surrounded by a stone wall and topped by briars to discourage the incursion of thieves and robbers. Inside were shelters to protect the animals from the cold and from the rain of winter. The fold had only one entrance, which was guarded by the gatekeeper whose job was to guarantee the safety of the sheep, especially at night. At the entrance to the sheepfold, as the sheep entered, the gatekeeper was literally the door that would stand and watch and make sure that the sheep would be brought to safety and protected the sheep from wild animals. If a wild animal tried to get in, the shepherd would fight it off. If one of the sheep bolted out, he would tenderly would bring it into the gate to the door. You see, the shepherd was literally the gate, the door himself. The shepherd could not enter. The sheep could not enter without him. Likewise, the kingdom of God, there is no other way to enter except through him, Jesus. He is the door. He said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. What is Jesus implying here? In this illustration of the gatekeeper, whose responsibility is to guard the entrance of the fold and to keep the sheep safe, Jesus is saying that he is exclusively the way of salvation. Whoever comes in through him will be saved. That is, will be able to enjoy the freedom to come and to go in abundance. Hence, the pasture of God's salvation. That's the reason why Jesus could say in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Unfortunately, the world today thinks materialistically instead of spiritually. When Jesus said, verse 8, all who had come before me are thieves and robbers. That before is not a chronological before, but a before a priority. Anyone who trusts in any other way of being saved is lost. If we were brutally honest with ourselves this morning, where is our priority? 
Is our priority on the things that this world has to offer? Are we concerned with the latest trends and fashions or whatever that may be for us? That we allow things or other things to move between us and Jesus. Of course, we say, Jesus is number one in my life. But when we do an introspection, our life and our actions tell the true story. Our attention is often pulled away from what is most important, spending intimate time with Jesus. It seems like there's always a competition, outside noise, fighting to get our attention. Philosopher Dallas Willard once said, and he called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And he urged followers of Jesus to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from their life. If we take a minute to conceptualize our life, we could see that the life here on earth is just a little tiny fraction in comparison to a life of eternity and a bliss with Jesus. The way of salvation is through Jesus. The greatest security in the world is to trust in Him. That's the reason why Jesus says in verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. Friends, nothing in this barren world and in this wasteland can fill the desire and the longings of the human heart and the existential angst that you so badly desire. We go through life and we spend time on things that do matter, but only temporarily. But where are our things being invested on the things that truly matter, on the things that are eternal, on the things that have eternal destiny and have ramifications for our life? The only way of salvation, the only one that can satisfy the void, the desires of the longings of the heart, has a name, and his name is Jesus. That's the reason why the apostle, the under-shepherd of the early Christian church could say, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Today, millions feel in a vast universe, in a wasteland of a world, orphaned by God, saturated with loneliness and lacking purpose for their lives. They go through the motions. They just go through life, living their life with no meaning and no purpose. They feel abandoned by God or that he is too busy with the things of the universe to be concerned with the affairs of humanity. They think and they say, God is not interested in me. They say, I'm just an insignificant part of this universe. Many have a deistic belief in God. They see God as a supreme being, a creator who does not intervene, who, who does not intervene in the affairs of this world. They accept the existence of the creator on the basis of reason, but they reject the belief of God who interacts with humanity. It's like God created us and just abandoned us and left us here to fend for ourselves. He is in high in heaven, but does not care what happens to me. But we know that that's not so. 
This false rationalization, this false mantra, this false narrative goes in opposition to what the Bible says. For you see, the Bible describes to us a loving God, one who cares dearly for you. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. The God of the universe is a personal God who cares for you, one who is interested in you, one who is crazy in love with you. Ellen White, author Ellen White says, True love is not merely a sentiment or an emotion. It is a living principle, a principle that is manifest in action. True love, whenever it exists, will control the life. Thus, it is the love of God. God is love. And it is all His works and all His dealings with mankind. His character is revealed. Again, the good shepherd is responsible for his sheep. This is the heart of the gospel. A story of love from God to the universe to humanity shown from the beginning to the end. In the meta-narrative of scripture, this is the meaning of the name Emmanuel. God with us. You see, we were not left orphaned. We were not left abandoned. The name of Jesus translated in the New Testament literally is Jesus. But in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, it's translated as Joshua. comes from the Hebrew name Jehoshua. That means God is salvation. So you see, even the very name of Jesus announces His mission to humanity. God is salvation. No longer are we left on the shark barren desert of life in the wasteland of this world. No waste away without God and without hope. That's the reason why King David could say in Psalms 23, He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He leads. He feeds. He supplies our needs. Cast all your cares on Him, for He cares for you. Again, the good shepherd knows his sheep. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just Verse 14, just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life. For what? For my sheep. In ancient times, several small flocks could have shared the same pen. This would have not been a problem. Because as a rule, not only did the shepherd know of his sheep individually, but the sheep also knew the voice of the shepherd and would easily have followed him. Sometimes due to the personal intimacy between the shepherd and the sheep, an individual sheep would even have recognized his own name and responded to it. Because the shepherd was constantly with the sheep and knew them individually. He knew that sheep that was stubborn. He knew the sheep that stayed away from the path. He loved them and understood them all. 
He also knew their virtues. He knew that they were wounded. He knew when they were in pain. He knew when they were disturbed. And he loved them back to health again. Verse 14. The good shepherd knows his sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, said Jesus. Do you have suffered affliction? Jesus was afflicted. He was rejected by men. If you are tempted... He was tempted in all points, as we are, yet without sin. If you feel rejected, He came into this world and His own received Him not. If you are lonely, He who prayed alone in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Calvary, says to you, Lo, I am with you to the end of the world. Author Ellen White says that this is the redemption might be ours. God withheld not even sacrifice of Himself. He gave Himself and His Son. The Father suffered with Christ in all humiliation and in agony. He suffered as He saw His Son of His love despised and rejected by those whom He came to elevate and noble and save. He saw Him hanging upon a cross, mocked and jeered by the passers-by, and he said, and he, and, he, and, and he hid, as it were, his face from him. He saw Christ bearing the sin of the world and dying in the sinner's steed. The human heart knows the love of the parent for his child. We know what a mother love will do to suffer of her beloved one. But we can never but never can the heart of man fathom the depths of God's self-sacrifice. O cross, the cross is set up that we may know that the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent, only the cross can measure the length and the breadth, the depth and the height and the infinite love, the greatness of the Father's sacrifice for this lost humanity. Because He was wounded. He understands our wounds. Because He suffered, He understands our suffering. Because He was lonely, He understands our loneliness. The Good Shepherd knows His sheep. Again, the Good Shepherd has many sheep. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The disciples thought as the Jewish leaders that because of their ancestral lineage that they were exclusive. But following Jesus is not for the chosen few. It's, not for, it's for the rejected. It's for the marginalized, it's for the immigrant, it's for the widow, it's for the poor, it's for the neglected, for people everywhere, regardless of their cultural background and their social context or their status. Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this ship pen. I I must bring them also. When a church becomes more narrow than Jesus, then it's too narrow. When a group feels that they have a monopoly on Jesus and doctrine, and they rule out those whom Jesus included. 
when the church acts more like a membership club or a country club, excluding people because they don't look like us or they don't act like us, then we have lost the sense of mission. Jesus came to redeem the whole world. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Finally, the good shepherd gave his life for his sheep. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, said Jesus. This is the central fact of the gospel, that Jesus died for you and for me. In a recent survey, several hundred students in an American college were asked to name the 20th greatest events in history. And to put them in order of their importance, more than half of them didn't even include Jesus in the cross of Calvary on their list. None of them put them at the first importance. And the ones that listed it, they had it towards the end of their list. But it was first on God's list. Isaiah 53 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. This is the deed that God This is the deed of God that mystifies the world and still does today. Jesus' death on the cross descends and stands on the epicenter of human salvation. Jesus is our good shepherd. Yes, it's true. But he's also for everyone. And as such, the church should not be contained in its four walls or confined and limited to just a worship program. The church is not about just keeping traditions and maintaining the status quo. While the church must plant its feet on tradition, it must also advance beyond it. If we do not grow out of our traditions, we will be ineffective and inefficient. As followers of Jesus, He invites us to participate in the mission of salvation to promote restorative justice and to bring healing to the world. Following Jesus' example, we must rely on the power of love, compassion, and harness the resources needed to contribute to the well-being of the community. Because the mission of God is to use the church to get people to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. MPC, the scope of our mission is, just, is not just to care for the sheep that are in the pen. Our role as followers of Jesus is not to care just for the church family, have mercy, but to care for the human family. The mission of God is to use this community of believers to be a beacon of hope for the city. Although God's kingdom is not of this world, as followers of Jesus... We are called to be the salt of this earth. We are the light of this world, bringing relief to the pain and the suffering of this desert wasteland that we called world. 
Mother Teresa once said, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. And it's true. I don't know if you notice the world around you, if you're living in a bubble, but there's people out there that are unhappy. They feel neglected, unwanted, anxious and depressed, lonely and in need of encouragement and in need of a community, a safe place where they feel loved, accepted and where they feel like they belong. If only there was a community of people who desired their good, showed sympathy and kindness and ministered to their needs and lived the way of Jesus because they knew that the Good Shepherd was for everyone and that He came to save the whole world because He's not only the one that can satisfy the empty voids of our hearts, the existential angst and the longings and desires of our hearts. This story is an invitation to make Jesus our Good Shepherd today. And if we do, then we will be able to sing and to say like King David, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Our Father in heaven, our desire, Lord, is to follow the great shepherd, that where he would lead us, that we would know, Father, that you are in control of our life, and that wherever you lead us, there will be abundance, freedom, a pasture that we can have eternity with you, Lord. That is our desire and our hope. Protect us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.